This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt. Well, China at the start of this month banned people under the age of 18 from playing video games for more than three hours a week. Yes, you heard me right, a week. They can play only from 8pm to 9pm on Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. Now, of course, this is very specific to China and government control. But the contrast of how we're living here in Victoria and our screen time is interesting to say the least. When you combine the fact that we're working from home, schooling from home, there are no play dates, sometimes there are not even playgrounds, it's let us to be a little more relaxed than usual when it comes to our screen time. Now, our rules may not have been three hours a week, like China, but we probably had some rules, didn't we? But now those rules, well, they have well and truly bolted out the door and down the street. The question is, will they ever come back? And does it matter if they don't? Will excess screen time actually have a long-term negative, irreversible impact on us and our kids? Or is the concept of screen time and what constitutes too much screen time actually just an outdated and old-fashioned way of thinking? Did you know that Minecraft is actually helping your child develop. In some schools and universities, they have incorporated Minecraft into their curriculum. Students learn about city planning, environmental issues, as well as things like maths and problem solving. Can you feel that? That's the parental guilt just slipping away. So is our concept of too much screen time an outdated way of thinking? Should we just simply not worry about it so much because it's just how the world works now? Have your rules around screen time changed? ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. We're talking about screen time and whether or not it's just an outdated concept, worrying about how long we spend on screen time. Is it simply just the way of the world now? David Gillespie is the author, well, of many books, including Brain Reset and Teen Brain, Why Screens Are Making Your Teenager Depressed, Anxious and Prone to Lifelong Addictive Illnesses and How to Stop It. David, given that the pandemic has really changed so many things, in particular, screen time. Are you as worried about it as you once were? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about it more than I once was because uh, it's now put, uh, particularly in places like Melbourne and Sydney, uh, it's now put uh, parents in a position where they have even less choice about uh, what, what their kids are doing. But I, but I think we should be a little bit nuanced about what we mean by screen time, or at least what I mean by screen time. Everything that appears on a screen is not necessarily bad. It's just that there are very, very few, very specific pieces of software, notably uh, first-person shooter games uh, and uh, certain types of social media, which are explicitly designed to addict young minds and we have to be very careful about those but that doesn't mean that everything on a computer screen is bad for you it just means we have to be very selective about what people are using it for how do we do that though in a way that i guess we can monitor it and not 
give ourselves a bad time. There's a text here that already says, please let this screen time discussion be positive about increased screen time or my head will explode. Parent of two. So, I mean, there are things you can do on... When everything else is removed from the possibility list, so you can no longer go outside, you can no longer go, uh, you know, to the playground, et cetera, et cetera, then inevitably the amount of time you spend in front of a screen or the amount of time a child spends in front of a screen is going to increase. But there are a lot of choices there. So, for example, uh, there is nothing addictive about Netflix. Netflix is just watching a show, just the way you would on television. Uh, it is not being being interrupted by advertising. It is not monitoring your behaviour in any way. Whereas, say, an equivalent thing like YouTube, where you're not just watching YouTube, it's watching you. It's monitoring what you look at, how long you look at it, for what volume you have it at, whether your eyes turn away, all of those things. And the reason it's doing that is so that it knows what to show you next and what ad to interrupt your show with. So there's two things which look on the surface to be the same. You're just watching television effectively. But one is engineered for addiction, that's YouTube, and one is not that's Netflix. And uh, so I think in every instance, you look at what's going on and say, okay, why do I want my child or why is it okay for my child to use this? And so some parents will say, okay, well, my child can't, during a lockdown, go out and socialise with other children. So it's really important that they'd be able to talk to other children using their devices. And once again, there are choices. There are messaging apps, there are video messaging apps, which allow kids to talk to each other uh, just fine without it necessarily involving them playing a game at the same time. It's the game that has the addictive elements in it. It's that which is designed explicitly to manipulate their dopamine circuitry and make them addicts. But you can get the benefit without that risk by just having a messaging app that allows them to talk to each other. There's a text here that says, oh, this is just mumsy, dadsy time. It's not very innovative program. Yawn, meaning that we're talking about screen time. But this is not just children. These, I mean, we have to hold the mirror up to ourselves about this all the time when it comes yeah. to screen time. How do we, I guess, let young people in our households know that, well, maybe I'm checking emails and I'm working from home and I'm trying to catch up or the screen time that we use. How important is that? Well, don't tell them not to do something which you are doing <laughs> is, is, is a start. So don't tell a kid you can't use social media while you sit there on social media. Don't tell a kid that you can't play uh, video games while you sit there playing a video game. That that doesn't work with screen time or anything else with kids. Um, so set, you know, lead by example, I guess, is the first piece of advice. But even for your own safety and your own integrity, you want to avoid those things. Yes, children are more easily addicted, particularly particularly teenage children are more easily addicted because of the particular architecture of the teenage brain, which makes them more susceptible not just to screen addictions, but any addiction. Um, but that doesn't mean adults can't be addicted, and we should be cautious about that for ourselves because the consequences of addiction are not just wasting time, which is a big one. It's that it puts our brain temporarily into a state mm. where we are more prone to anxiety and depression. And that's very bad news. A lot of us have probably 
I mean, it's how we're getting through. It's how we're coping. And we've got kids at home during school holidays when we're all trying to work and work from home or we're schooling from home. And we probably know that many of us are doing the wrong thing. Lots of texts coming in saying, look, it's stressing me out and I'm not sure what to do about it. What I'm hoping is that once this is all over, things will get back to normal a little bit. Can bad habits be untaught at the end of this? Uh, addiction can always be stopped. The, tr- the trouble is it's not easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't be addiction. I-, I can stop eating Brussels sprouts tomorrow because I'm not addicted to them. Um, but once you are addicted to something, stopping doing it is by definition extremely difficult. Uh, so uh, it will be able to be stopped, but you have to be able to grit your teeth and stop it. And that means actually stop, not stop a little bit, not reduce the amount of time a little bit, but actually stop exposure once it's possible. Are you worried then, given the line of work that lots of people are getting into, we're going to speak a little later about gaming as the future for employment for young people, Minecraft being used within schooling curriculum, given that it's just a part of our our lives now, does that concern you, David Gillespie? Well, I don't think it is a part of our lives. I mean, there are very few offices where you where you go to work and 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 play Fortnite. Um, it's it's not part of our lives in that sense. No, no, nobody has a job that requires them to use addictive software. Um, Minecraft is a, is a different kettle of fish. There's two modes to Minecraft. There's the to- the mode you're talking about, which is essentially Lego on a screen. Um, and yes, it is used for all sorts of educational purposes. And then there's the other mode, which is the granddaddy of all the first person shooters, the highly addictive software that we have now, uh, which is where you're actually competing against other humans, you know, in a multiplayer mode. Um, So Minecraft in the on-screen Lego mode is fantastically educational and fantastically useful, just like many things on screens. But you've got to look for the things that are designed explicitly to addict. And they are never going to be part of anyone's job because they are addictive and therefore destructive to productivity. There's a text here that says, I've heard the concept about Minecraft assisting with maths since 2013. I've watched my daughter's cohort graduate from primary school and they're now in year nine. Some children would have thousands of hours of Minecraft under their belts, yet I'm yet to see one shred of evidence to say that it's helped a single child do anything but become antisocial and a screen addict. That's from a parent of two teenagers. David, I know you've got a busy morning, so thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. It's David Gillespie. He's the author of many books, but also including Teen Brain, Why Screens Are Making Your Teenager Depressed, Anxious and Prone to Lifelong Addictive Illnesses and How to Stop It Now. Now, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. Far from it. I'm actually trying to make us all feel a little bit better and throw around the concept of whether or not worrying about screen time is an outdated concept. On the opposite extreme, in China, they've put a three-hour per week ban on gaming, just an hour, Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. Here it's almost the opposite. It's how we're getting through. This text from Kerry, it reminds me of how television was going to be our downfall. Love the adult concern, yet I see adults glued to them all the time. And another text, teachers saw lots of gaming addiction coming back after uh, coming back into school after the last lockdown. Kevin's in Cape Patterson. Hi, Kevin. Well, I wanted to say that you've got to be very, very careful. My son developed an internet gaming addiction um, and, and it got in, the, got in the way of his life. That's the problem. When it starts to get in the way of leading a meaningful life, then it's a real issue. And what happens is that he gets, whenever something goes wrong in his life, he gets anxious. 
and he jumps on the computer and he plays it into midnight and then he sleeps, sleep deprived, so he struggles with maintaining his work and his relationships and his yeah. daily routine. And so it really is a serious problem. That's what I want to say. Absolutely. It's absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more that it's a, a huge problem. And for many, it, it can affect all aspects of their lives. I guess for some of us, though, we're just using the screen more than we normally would. And I'm just wondering whether or not that will become the norm and whether we need to just give ourselves, you know, just not give ourselves such a hard time about it. Well, I agree that you shouldn't give yourself a half t- hard time. The, the real, the threshold is, is it getting the way in the way of me leading my life? And if, if, if it's not, then it's not a problem. If it is, then it is a problem and something has to be done about it. Good on you, Kevin. Great to hear from you as well. This text, boomers are worried about things they don't understand. And another says, ridiculous argument. What a parent does is an adult's choice. You don't allow your children to dictate your screen time. You don't have to justify yourself to your child. I'm not saying a parent should be on the screen all the time, but the parent is the adult. Dr. Christy Goodwin is a digital wellbeing researcher and author. Christy, the fact is we're never going to be like China, and that's probably good for a lot of reasons. But three hours of gaming a week is just our idea of a nightmare at the moment, given it's how many of us are getting through. Should we rethink our concerns about screen time? Absolutely. Um, I often say that the reality is technology is here to stay, whether we love it or loathe it. It's an integral part of our kids' lives. I call them screen edges. Um, And we know from the pandemic that the online world is their portal. It's their portal for learning, it's their portal for leisure, and it's their portal for connection. And it's really um, difficult to prescribe what I call an exact digital dose. Um, I think we're better placed to focus on what our kids are doing online rather than obsessing about how much time they're spending there. What about when it does get to the point of it being a concern and and worrying and is that going to become more problematic given that we are all spending more time? Look, initial research is suggesting from um, health professionals in this space that after the last lockdown period, there was a surge in um, parents, educators and health professionals raising concerns about increasing numbers presenting um, of, of young people, sorry, presenting with symptoms of some problematic digital behaviours. So yes, I think we know that, that there's probably going to occur after the, the latest lockdown as well, um, but it really comes back, it's really hard to say our kids are addicted. Um, you know, we don't really have a, a consistent medical um, diagnosis of what constitutes a, a, a medical addiction in terms of internet problematic behaviours. Um, and the technology really plays that critical role in all of our lives. So that delineation between um, you know, problematic behaviours and just obsessive behaviours is quite blurred at times. We're never going to put a three-hour, well, I say never, I would never, some people might put a three-hour-a-week time limit on gaming, but we do still need some rules, don't we? Absolutely. My core message whenever I speak to parents is to say that you have to be the pilot or the co-pilot of the digital plane. And that means establishing your digital borders and boundaries with your children and and teens, not on them. I'm not presenting them with an iPad contract or a gaming contract and saying, sign here. That doesn't work. Getting their buy-in. And as I said before, focusing on more than just the how much. Where we can focus on the how much is looking at what is their screen time displacing, what important developmental um, 
milestones and needs are being displaced by their tech time. You know, are they getting adequate amounts of sleep, physical movement and play? Um, and if we say yes, they are, then we can rest assured that their tech time isn't to their detriment. We quite often use devices as a reward for kids. Mm. Do X, Y and Z, help me here. We might actually even use it as a reward for ourselves a little bit. You know, mm. I'll do this and then I can sit down and watch this. Is that the right thing to do? Look, this is a controversial one um, and I'm the first to admit as a parent of three kids, I do dan- dangle the digital carrot every now and then, um, especially when pre-pandemic, when grandma announced she was coming over um, in a relatively short period of time and the house needed some attention. But what we have to be really careful about is always using technology as a reward or a punishment tool. If we use technology as a reward, two things happen. First thing is we elevate the status of technology. Our kids already love it. Why do we want to entirely? them with even more of it and the second thing that happens is it develops a transactional relationship with our kids our kids very quickly um, start recognizing what's in it for me you know I will unpack the dishwasher if I can and insert their digital request Um, so ideally we want to try to where we can avoid always using it as a reward or punishment tool there's a text here from Simon that says, my 14-year-old son, only child, is a huge gamer, thought he was addicted. He went to boarding school and he didn't miss gaming, saying, why would I? I've now got friends to hang out with. Mm. That's a big part of whether not many of us go to boarding school, but we don't have friends to hang out with a lot at the moment. Will we see good habits be picked back up again once life resumes some element of normal? Absolutely. I I spoke last time um, when we came out of one of our recent lockdowns about the digital hangover and it will will take place. You know, we will see these unhealthy digital habits um, reside. But what happens when life does resume is we'll see technology and opportunities to be with technology crowded out because hopefully community sport, co-curricular activities, play dates, all the other life experiences that used to take place in lieu of screens will come back in. So we will see this crowding out effect, um, but that will take time, obviously. Dr Christy Goodwin is with you. Robin's called from Croydon. Hi, Robin. Hi, Rochelle. How are you? Very well. Do you have rules? Are you relaxed? What, how's your screen time in your household? Well, I'm all there is in my household, and I'm currently writing a book. So I spend a lot of time sitting on my screen, And it's not just the time you spend on the screen, it's the time that you spend sitting that's the problem as well. So I actually put the countdown clock on my phone so that I get up once an hour and do something, you know, put a load of washing on or do some ironing or something, something so I'm just not sitting all the time. And I think, you know, when you're in the office, you sort of get up to go and talk to one of your colleagues or walk down to a meeting or there's a little bit of physical in the day whereas now you're just sitting all the time and I don't think that's very good for us as well it's not just the screen part of it it's the sitting part of it I like the idea of putting a timer on I'm not as as keen as the idea on ironing Robert but I like the idea of to be done Rochelle I I don't even get me started on ironing things don't even make it to my cupboard they go from the dryer to the washing basket and to the washing machine and they circle around in the laundry the whole time but I mean does the timer help you yeah it's made me more disciplined about because 
I sit down with good intentions that I'm going to get up. And look, sometimes I don't because if I'm in the middle of a flow of something that I'm writing, I just keep going for the next 10 minutes. But then I do make sure I get up because I just found sitting all the time, my muscles were cramping because... I sat too much and yeah. my remedial massage guy is, is very keen for me. Yeah, well, they're right. probably making lots of money <laughs> because we sit in just the same spot. Robin, thank you. Is that good advice, Christy? Should we put a timer on so that we know? Because it's very easy to just lose a couple of hours. Oh, isn't it? I call it the digital vortex. It's just so easy to slip into that online world. And I love that strategy. I think we need any nudge that we can to exit the online world. Our tech companies, whether it's for personal or our professional use of technology, have created an online world that's so captivating and alluring. This is why kids throw techno tantrums when we digitally disconnect them. And one of the reasons that we all struggle, adults, children and teenagers, to unplug and to turn off devices is that when we're online, we enter something that's called the state of insufficiency. We never feel dumb. There's never a finite point where we feel completed. And so we have to put in place the strategies that will nudge us to have a break to get up. We're seeing overwhelming evidence that across the globe, that sedentary levels have increased exponentially during the pandemic. And movement is so fundamental for our physical and psychological well-being. Um, So anything we can do to nudge us to to switch Mm. off and get active is really important. Let's have a chat to Chris. He's in Roxborough Park. Hi, Chris. Oh, hi, Rochelle. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just thinking, when when I was a kid, we always used to get told about um, not sitting too close to the television for too long because it was damaging to your eyes. Yeah, your eyes would go square, we were told. Yeah, and I'm just just thinking, in in regards to that, um, with, with this sort of generation of kids just spending so many hours um, in front of screens. Is there any evidence to support um, the worry that maybe that could be damaging to their eyesight long term? I have no idea, Chris. I mean, Christy, you might have yeah. an idea of that. I mean, I know that there are glasses we can wear to try and reduce the glare and whatnot, but are we creating a generation, of not just kids, of adults yeah. as well, where we all have really bad eyesight? Yes, um, we have overwhelming evidence that has come out again during the pandemic to say we've seen a huge increase in rates of myopia, which is nearsightedness. A study from China um, examined six-year-olds' rates of myopia and during the lockdown we saw a 400% increase. So what is happening is not only is it the close distance of looking at a screen, but it's what our screen time is displacing. And preliminary research is telling us that it's Um, our lack of time outside. Children's developing eyes need at least two hours a day in natural sunlight to stop myopic progression and many kids aren't getting that that quota of what I call green time. Um, So not only is it the being outside that helps protect their eyes against myopia, but we also Mm. think it might be what we're doing when we're outside and that's looking at things further distance rather than just that close impact work that we tend to do on a screen. I was hoping this conversation was going to make us all feel a little bit better, Christy, and it's doing the opposite, and that's just not what I wanted to happen. There's a text here that says, oh, Rochelle, the only one sensible thing that China's done is limiting gaming to three hours a week. Look, that's not going to happen here, but, I mean, what's your... What's your reaction to gaming and the government putting on a gaming time ban? 
like you, I don't think we need mandated government regulations, um, in particularly with gaming or social media use. What I encourage people to do is to determine their personal or their digital borders and boundaries. I say to people, we've got to stop obsessing about how much time we're spending online. I actually think the concept of screen time will soon become obsolete. Um, you know, we've got wearable technologies, we've got artificial intelligence, virtual reality. The notion of a screen will, will soon become redundant. What I think we're better placed to do is to focus on what we are doing online and what our time online is displacing. You know, is it displacing some of our important psychological and physical needs, then yes, maybe that is a, a red flag. But if we're using it in productive and healthy ways, um, you know, if we're using it at the right times of the day, um, then I think we can take peace of mind knowing that it's not necessarily going to be detrimental to us. Christy, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Dr. Christy Goodwin, she's a digital wellbeing and researcher and author. Two texts here. I teach at high school where iPads are mandatory. It's scary to see kids not being able to wait even five minutes for a teacher without gaming, even with their friends standing right beside them. And another one from a teacher saying, hey, I'm a teacher now online. Screen time is overwhelming, so much so that when my friends want to catch up and have Zoom drinks, I just can't. I miss them, but I just can't handle looking at another screen. That's from Gigi in Richmond. So China's put a three-hour-a-week ban on gaming, only one hour, Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night. We're increasing our screen time. Is there a balance in the middle? And what does the future hold for work, for industry, for everything from town planning and to gaming design? When we look at our young people, or maybe you're even thinking about getting into a new line of work, where does gaming fit into that? This is the Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt. And that's how computer games used to sound back in the good old days. Well, China at the start of this month has banned people under the age of 18 from playing video games for more than three hours a week. You can only play from 8pm to 9pm on Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. Now that's China, I know, but here it's kind of the complete opposite, isn't it? When you think about all of the rules we may have had in place about gaming and screen time, when you combine working from home, schooling from home, lockdowns, no play dates, and at some point there's been no playgrounds, our screen time has gone through the roof. So today we're looking at whether or not that's actually a bad thing. Like, is it going to cause irreversible damage to us and to our kids? Or is worrying about screen time just an outdated and old-fashioned way of thinking? David Gillespie spoke with us earlier. This text has come in from Michael in Coburg, and he says, I think David's got outdated views by about 20 years of gaming. The most addictive games resemble game gambling. There's nothing particularly addictive about first person perspective or VR. They are grey haired gamers and ex gamers now. The panicky predictions about computer games uh, have just never happened. Facebook is more addictive than any game I have tried. 
And this is from Lucy in Elwood. She says, interesting to have this conversation today about high levels of online gaming due to the pandemic. When views today have reported that 300 plus time increase in online gambling spend during the 2021 lockdown in Victoria and in New South Wales. She says that there's evidence that addictive nature of online gambling is actually priming children for online gambling and some of those mechanisms and the risks involved. That's from Lucy. And a photo from Andrew in one Turner saying graphic designers screen time, but I do have an old fashioned record player, which I play. It causes me to stand up and get up and move around about every 45 minutes. And the photo that Andrew sent me, it's probably got three or four, I can count, screens in front of him. Anna's call from Geelong. Hello. Hi, what did you want to say? Uh, I'm a teacher, a high school teacher, and at my school, um, iPads are mandatory for all the kids. And what I've noticed is that this addiction to games in particular is so unbelievable that the kids can't even sort of wait for a teacher without having to get on their games, even when their friends are beside them. But it's things like in the classroom, if, if you're talking to the kids, all of a sudden you notice that one of the two of them will, what I like to say, looking at their crutch when they have their iPad in their um, lap to play a game. And this absolute, complete addiction that they can't even switch off for a minute is really scary. Has it got worse during the lockdown? Well, I know school's kind of, it's back and then it's not, and it's back and then it's not. But in those pockets where kids are back, have you noticed a difference? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's definitely getting worse. And, and what we notice is that the kids who don't play games, they're, they're fine when they're on the screens because they have to be for classes. But the ones that aren't, we actually did a survey of the kids between the last two lockdowns about their biggest distractions. And most of the kids said games were their biggest distractions. And we've actually talked to the kids um, in my cohort, I'm, I'm in charge of one of the year levels, about actually putting blocks on their iPad between, during school hours so they can actually get their schoolwork done. It's just so easy for them to act as well they should be on schoolwork, but we have to actually give them strategies to be able to block those out so they can get their work done. And are they happy to put those blocks on? Some are, some aren't. Some parents are doing it for them. Um, my kids don't have access to any games, generally. They have iPods they borrow from their school, my own personal kids and um, during their lockdown. And I noticed that these kids who, who don't do gaming at all, as soon as they get on their um, iPads, they want to jump on games as well. And so it's just this innate thing, I think, that these kids want to get involved in this gaming culture. And it really scares me as a parent. It really does, and a teacher for that matter. So with the survey that you do within your school, I've I think it's awesome that you've sort of done almost your own evidence-based research there. And what, what sort of age bracket? And are we talking about boys or girls predominantly? Both. So we do it with all of them, and, and it doesn't seem to make much difference, boys or girls. And it's that sort of um, we the survey we did was for 14 to 14 year olds, and um, we just noticed that, that, that they were really honest with us. It said that they really struggle um, with home learning and um, that those games, and they wanted strategies to help them get away from those games when they should have been working on their classwork. And so they were really honest about it. They're worried about it. As teachers, we're really worried about it. And, and and when we talked to the parents, we actually called every parent in our school at the end of term. It took a long time, but the parents are really worried about it as well. What an incredible teacher. What an amazing initiative. That's, were the parents thankful? 
Oh, they are. They, they they want this advice and yeah. we say to them things like um, have them sitting at the kitchen table to do their work, not in their bedrooms, and, and yeah. put these um, locks on their iPads for the days. And, and the kids will actually come back to us too and say, oh, thanks for that. And it's like, they, they, want, they want that help. And it, it's things, I mean, there's research that's come out that um, teenagers, when they've been doing um, the dental studies, that teenagers now are actually developing a new bone in the back of their neck from them looking down all the time. It's like a little bone hump on the back of oh, their gosh. neck. And Let's not add that uh, to it. The list of things for us to worry yeah, about as well. It's really scary. I mean, as I said, I don't let my kids game at all because it, it. And I think there has to be a real definite a distinction between screen time, where it's watching TV and things like that, where it's not that interaction nature, as opposed to gaming, which is a completely different mm. scenario. So uh, it's the gaming that scares me, and that social media. There's no way my kids are having social media, and um, and they might make me a, make me a, an old fashioned kind of parent, but I'm okay with that. If how old are you? How old are your kids? I have um, twins that are um, 12 and a daughter that's um, nine. So. And they don't have, the, your 12-year-old, you're pretty confident she doesn't have social media? So they, they definitely don't. The twins, they don't have, they don't have any electronic devices. Yeah. So. Wow. Good on you, Anna. It's been fascinating speaking with you. Thank you so much. Gosh, there's some... Incredible people out there. Ari Offman is a video games curator at Acme and the curator of Bigs Game Night, which is this Sunday and it's a part of Melbourne International Games Week. I dare say, Ari, you're going to have a lot of participants and possibly <laughs> a lot of people that are a bit upset by this as well. It's really a tricky conversation to have at the moment. How do you feel about the current state of, of gaming and whether or not it's getting a bad rap about how addictive it is because of the pandemic? Yeah, hi, Rochelle. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, look, um, I, I'm actually a little bit surprised in the fact that, that, that you might think that it's going to get a little bit of a bad rap because um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the nature of video games out there in society and they're quite often stereotyped as being one particular thing. So... So when people think about video games, often they do, they talk about games where you know you're shooting things and 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 doing all that. But the truth is, is that there's a really wide range of video games that are out there on offer. Many of which are produced here in Australia, and we have a really really thriving industry. And it's it's almost the same as um, as looking at any other screen uh, medium and, and and judging all of the content by by a small amount. Now. Um, with regards to screen time addiction, we have to acknowledge that we're in a very unique set of circumstances right now. Um, Melbourne is, is locked down, um, as, as is Sydney, and the ways that we can uh, communicate, the ways that we can um, get together have been significantly changed to what they are in the past. And the truth is that video games are like, while like anything else, should be part of a, a balanced lifestyle, actually offer us a lot of amazing opportunities and, uh, and uh, things that are of real benefit to our life. When we talk about it's the type of game that you play, I mean, kids can smell a, a life lesson a mile off. And if all of their mates are playing Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever it is, and you say, here, let's play this one that's all about, you know, social change and building a, a better life and industry for our community, they're not going to want to play that, are they? Well, no, actually, I, I, I challenge that. And, the, like, the Big Games Night In is a great opportunity to, to see some of these, uh, well, to see some of these games that offer a, a wide range of experiences and, and benefits. So, um, some of the games that are included in the Big Games Night In are particularly zen or, or meditative and, and quite calming. 
Um, so, I mean, there's a really lovely game included called um, Unpacking, which is made by a small Queensland studio named Witch Bean Games. Um, and in it, you follow through a character through their life and through the various moves that they have. Um, uh, and by unpacking the various boxes and um, and using it almost in a Tetris-style way of arranging the room, first of all, it's incredibly calming, but you also learn a lot of, a lot about this character. Um, and it's a great way for, for parents and kids to sort of experience video games together. Um, I was yeah. just thinking too about the future of work. When we look at Victoria in particular, we have a, a huge number of incredible studios and animation being made and we're sort of becoming quite well known for being an area where you can come and work successfully in the field of, of video gaming as well. Are we maybe just a bit old-fashioned and outdated when we think about video games because the fact is it's probably going to be employing most of our kids? Well, look, that's very true, Rochelle. And, and the truth is, I think there's a general misunderstanding, first of all, about, about who plays games in, in Australian society um, and, and the roles they play. So, I mean, uh, in the amazing research that's done by IGA, they have this fantastic piece of research they do every two years called Digital Australia that really looks at video games within society um, and who plays them and, and the role that they play. Um, the average player in Australia is actually 34 years old. So while we often talk about kids playing video games, the truth is, is there's many more adults in Australia who are playing video games and people of all ages that are playing games. It's not just, it's not just children. Um, the other thing that to, to understand is that video games by far are the, the most uh, um, economically solvent medium within, within, uh, within screen industries. So video games together actually make more than both the film and television industries in Australia combined. So, it, like, it really is a medium that's here to stay, and it's about understanding its uh, its value as an artistic form and the benefits that it can bring. Um, I'd say particularly one of the great things about video games at the moment is while, you know, children have been locked up or, like, locked down and not able to get together with their mates, it actually uh, allows and creates a form of community, you know? I mean, my nephews, like, part of the, part of the reason they like to jump onto Fortnite or whatever other game they might choose to play is, is it's not just to play the game itself, but it's a place where they and their friends congregate where they can feel that sense of community and that, that and that sense of connectedness that really has been lost quite a lot in this uh, in these times. Mm. If people want to jump on as a part of the Melbourne International Games Week, can anyone log on? Because I know that on, it's a, uh, the event is online for the first time this year, sort of kind of suits being online, I guess, given the nature of, of what the uh, industry is about. But it's being held online and it's on Sunday. Can anyone jump on and be a part of it? Yeah, that actually, actually, we were we were um, we're bringing the big games night in for the second year of this year. It actually sort of launched last year during lockdown, and um, yeah, people can jump online. So if they ho- um, head along to the Acme website, they'll find a selection of twelve Australian game makers, uh, all of which they can download uh, the, the games for free. Um, and even if they don't get a chance on this Sunday, which is when the main event is happening, um, Acme will keep those, those games up online for the entire week. Um, and there's various ways that people can sort of connect with um, with, with, with the community as part of Big Games Night In. Um, uh, if they choose to share via their social media, there's a couple of different hashtags that they can sort of share their experiences by. And we also have an online community via the Discord app where, where people can actually talk directly to the game makers and, and have a bit of an Ask understanding questions. about what went okay. into this. 
Good on you, Ari. Thank you. Ari Offman, he's the video games curator at Acme. Scott's in Ballarat. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? Hi. What did you want to say? Oh, look, just following on from what Ari was saying, I've got a 17-year-old son who's got an Xbox, he's got a computer, and he's got a VR headset, and, yeah, he does play games like Rainbow Six Siege and those type of what people would assume would be your traditional games, shoot 'em up games. Um, but I remember one day I walked into his room to watch what he was doing, and he was on a farm simulator, and he was ploughing a field. <laughs> and then and you're like, "Phew!" I will. I was more. I was more so. I said, well, "What? Are, what are? What are you doing?" And he goes, "Oh, it's just a little bit of. This is just you know different again." And with his VR headset, he does a. Could he not walk uh, outside and actually step on real grass? Um. Yeah, but oh, we're not on that big of a block, so he can't play, he can't plow it, I guess. Um, but even what Ari was saying um, as well about the community, um, during lockdown, friends of theirs had birthdays, so they all sort of set a time to go into a, ga- a certain game and they had their birthday party online, so they were able to play a game but also chat to everybody. Um, I'm in Ballarat, so there were people in Balan and, and on the other side of Ballarat, so during lockdown they couldn't actually see each other, yeah. but they were able to celebrate birthdays by just getting online, playing a game, but also having a bit of fun and inter- interacting with friends. So, yes, it does frustrate me that the amount of time he spends on on the, on the his consoles at times, but at the same time he is dealing, mm. he is speaking with his mates. And I know, Scott, he, you're not alone. I came home to my daughter who was FaceTiming her little friend in quarantine, who's quarantining in a hotel in Brisbane, and they were playing video games together, but on a, so they were double screening, and I was a bit horrified, but at the same time, they were just kind of playing video yeah. games together, and it was a way to catch up. So I, I sort of felt very old and, and outdated, but I must admit... I got her outside pretty quick after that. Dr. Jason Fox is a best-selling author of The Game Changer. He also did a PhD in motivation and behaviour change. And Jason, I've had a bit of pushback on the idea that (laughs) Minecraft should be, or some schools are actually incorporating it into their curriculum that can help with everything from maths and equations and problem solving, but through to plan towning, uh, sorry, uh, town planning. Yeah, I mean, this Minecraft thing, that's, it's pretty old. It's been around for a long time. I was so heartened by the last few callers, though, because th- this, this is nuanced. Games aren't going away. They're, they're just <laughs> getting better and better. And most people fear that which they don't understand. And I think something that's really useful for folks to think about is imagine if the norm was that uh, we would all be playing games like we do out in normal life and we'd also meet online, we'd play games, we'd, we'd solve complex challenges together, we'd form kinship and bonds and strategize. And then suddenly books came. Books came after video games. Imagine the back, backlash that books would get. People are saying, oh, what? You're getting people, you know, they're disconnected from the world. They're just reading in isolation on their own, following the plot or the script of some I author. don't know whether those same, I don't know whether you can pull that. Can you? I mean, are you going to get the same addictive behaviours and all of the issues from gaming so from books? I would, uh, I would say, well, if it's a good book, yeah. Um, oh, that's true. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, the latest uh, Leanne Moriarty, don't get me started. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that the, the concerns about addiction are very valid. Like, we should, we should think of games as a powerful medium, a very, very powerful medium. But that doesn't mean that they should be banned outright. And all of these folks that are taking a more nuanced approach, that are seeking to understand and to even kind of, 
engage with it at a healthy level where parents learn from their kids or play together, I think this is the pathway that we need to take. We're going to really make the most of this wonderful opportunity to connect, to explore wonderful worlds and engage in deep art together, but also to make sure that doesn't get out of hand. And just finally, Jason, because we're running out of time, teachers, we had an incredible caller before, Anna, who's a school teacher, and she's really concerned about it and having to put things into place and, and timing into place because her kids are gaming 24-7 when they're at school and hiding it and it's becoming a real issue. So how do teachers feel about it when you come in and talk about the fact that Minecraft might be good for them? Well, I mean, again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant with this anchoring around Minecraft, but games as a whole, there's a, there's a school uh, in New York uh, called Quest to Learn. I'm not sure if it's around still, but they're taking inspiration from game designers in how lessons are crafted. Um, they would hide Easter eggs in the library. So if, if kids are doing extra homework or reading in books, they might discover an additional quest where they can take on additional challenges, like essentially extra homework, in order to um, have you know new achievements unlock on their report card. And this is this is taking inspiration of what works in games and applying it to other tasks. And I think I think that you know the ban approach. Yes, we need to keep an eye on this. And uh, addiction is very very mm-hmm. real. But also we can look. Uh, to insp- we can look for inspiration about how we can reshape and redo some of the things yeah. that we do in life. Well, I started gaming with my daughter on Animal Crossing and she said to me the other day, you haven't visited your house in so long, <laughs> Mum, that there's now cockroaches in there. Dr Jason Fox, thanks for your time. Thank you best-selling author of The Game Changer. If you missed any part of today's program, if you've just joined us, you can go back and listen. The best way to do that is to subscribe to The Conversation Hour podcast. Go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Great to have your company. Thanks for listening.